Okay, who's ever been to the doctor and you've had one of those health checks where they do the bloods, they do the, the sugar, um, they do the, you know, they check you all over to see your bloods are good, if you've got high sugar and you go, oh, Nina, you've got high cholesterol. Keep off the pork, not the pork, you know. Have you had one of those? Ted? Like, okay, maybe if you haven't had one of those, what about if have you done a spring clean in your home? And you do a big clean-up and you get rid of all the stuff you haven't used or it's broken. I'm sure we fit into one of those two categories. Well, the message that I'm going to be speaking from this morning is uh, a soul check. We're having a soul check up this morning. Mama's in the house and she goes to those places that most kids don't like to hear from. But I actually really felt prompted by God while I was away visiting my mum. And I was reading this passage of Scripture and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, say, I want you to speak from this. And so much revelation has come from it. It's not a passage of Scripture that you actually hear from often. When I read it to you, you're going to go, yeah, no, I've not heard many sermons from this one. But I really believe that there is a, a, a new sweep of the Spirit of God coming. It started and I really believe that it's going to come through like a strong wave. Um, Pastor Mark said he spoke with Pastor Shane Willard the other day and he was saying that he did a great big research upon all the pandemics, starting from the pandemic of 400. And he said he noticed one thing that was very common in after every pandemic, there was a move of God. And... Uh, and we have started to see, I don't know if you come to our Sunday night, message, uh, Sunday night services, but the altar is always filled with people spontaneously coming to worship God. You know, the other week it went over, we finished that night. We dismissed it at 7.30, but people just are hungry and I love it. But, you know, I really felt that God, in order to, to do, to bring a great move of God, sometimes he puts his finger on areas of our life that stop us or hinder us from allowing us to experience the fullness of God. And so this morning, I'm going to speak from Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. John the Baptist beheaded. Welcome to church this morning. <laughs> now King Herod heard of him being Jesus. For his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, no, it's Elijah. And others said, it's the prophet or like one of the prophets. But, there, but when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he had, for he had Herodias, had, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him, being John. You know, the ESV translation said she had a grudge against him. The NIV translation says she nursed a grudge against John the Baptist. 
moving on and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared, feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man and protected him. So he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportunity, opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias, Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. You're wondering, where is she going with this? Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Put your seatbelts on, though. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want, to, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Not illustrating that today. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be bought. And he went and beheaded him in prison, bought the head, his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Wow, that's losing your head over a grudge, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to come around your word. And, and Lord, your, your word brings out so much light and so much revelation. And I pray that today as we go through this passage of scripture, that's what it would do, reveal things. I pray, oh God, that you would speak to us, that our faith will rise, oh God. And I pray, oh Father, that you would do what you want to do in our lives. We commit to you in Jesus' name. This passage of scripture has all the makings of a Hollywood movie. It's got lust. It's got revenge. It's got affairs. It's got betrayal. It's uh, the royal Herods. Uh, and uh, it's got the innocent John the Baptist. A lead up to this is from Mark chapter 4. And I just want to reverse a little bit and lead up to this passage. And Mark tells us in chapter 4, talking about all the things that Jesus was doing. He was causing popularity to rise. He calms the sea. He, he calms the storms. He, he Healing of the demoniac, the possessed man. He heals a, heals a woman with the issue of blood. Uh, who had been bleeding for 12 years. He raises a girl from the dead. So Jesus is going around doing all these wonderful things. We learn that Jesus' popularity is growing and all the people are trying to work out who is he? Who is this Jesus? Some think he's Elijah come back from the dead. Some just think he's another prophet. But Herod thinks it's John the Baptist. I killed him. Now he's come back to taunt me. But it is Jesus. And, but Herod is so stuck on the fact, no, it's John the Baptist. 
And this is taunting him. We're reading that passage in 14 to 16. Now, King Herod heard of him, Jesus, and he says, who is he? No, I'm sure this is John the Baptist who's risen from the dead. Others said it's Elijah. Others said it's a prophet or like other prophets. But Herod said, this is John whom I beheaded. He is being raised from the dead. These verses are now in the current time. So we Fast forward from Mark chapter 4, 5 to 6. So we're back in chapter 6. And to understand the story, we need to understand the family tree of the Herods. And so I'm just going to do a little bit of a family tree to help you understand what's going on. So we have Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was the one who gave the edict uh, killing all the children under two. When Jesus was born, he heard that King Jesus was born and that was a threat to his throne. So he got bloodthirsty and killed all the children under two. He was a very paranoid man. And anyone who went around threatening to be to derail his reign, he basically killed. He killed son, his sons. He killed his daughters. One historian says it was better to be a pig in the palace than a son and a daughter of Herod the Great. Not a very nice man. But, you know, King Herod the Great did do some good things. He was not a very nice man, but he did do some things. Probably they say one of the greatest builders in Israel's history. He built Caesarea by the sea on our Israel trip. We actually go to that place. He built Masada, a fortress in the middle of the desert, down by the Dead Sea on top of a high cliff mountain to protect himself from all the enemies. We also go there on our Israel trip. He was known to rebuild uh, the second temple in Jerusalem. And that was merely to carry favour with the Jews, to do something good. So he rebuilds, refurbs, makes it beautiful again. He has several sons from several wives and several daughters, too many to mention for me today, but I'm going to mention the ones that are applicable to this passage. Are you with me still? Okay, so we've got King Herod the Great. Now we go to his sons and his granddaughters. So he has a son from wife number two. Ari, I'll say his name, Aristopulus the fourth is his name. Son from wife number two, Aristopulus the fourth. We have son from wife number three. Aren't you glad you don't live in those days? And his name is Herod Philip. Then we have son from wife number four, and his name is Herod Antipas. This is the Herod Antipas, is the one that we've just read about in this story in Mark chapter 6. So what happens? Aristopolis, from son number one, from wife number two... Has a daughter and her name is Herodias. She's the one in this chapter, chapter six. And so we see this is Herodias. This is the daughter of Aristopolis. She marries, it's getting weirder. Right. She marries Uncle Philip. 
Yeah, no way. Gets worse. She marries Uncle Philip. But Herod Anipas, who's in this story, he's jealous and he wants her for himself. So he steals his brother's wife, Herodias, for himself. Told you it's like a movie. <laughs> Can you see what I mean? It's weird. So now you know the backstory of this passage. So now you know why John the Baptist says, man, this, you're crazy, guys. You need to get it right. There's problems in this place. And John the Baptist never had an issue with confronting things in his day, whether it be political or whether it be immorality. He went for the jugular. He just said it as it was. And though it ended up getting him in prison and then dead. So let's go to Herodias. Herodias is uh, Herod Antipas's wife. She's angry because John the Baptist called it out. You guys are not living right and this is wrong. And you've got to not steal each other's wives. And you've got to be faithful. In fact, both uh, Uncle Philip and uh, Antipas, they both had wives. And they both got rid of them to, to marry um, Herodias. She's angry. She wants John the Baptist dead. And because Herod feared John, he knew that he was a noble. He knew that he was a righteous man. He knew that he was a good man. And he never wanted to kill him. So he put him into prison to shut up the mouths of those who wanted him out of the picture. But it's Herod's birthday. And as like any king, invites all the stars, the dignitaries, the, you know, the other people that are important all over. And he has a little bit too much of his own homegrown wine. So he's probably a little bit tipsy because no one in their right mind behaves the way that Herod behaves in his party. And so he's probably a little bit tipsy and uh, he has... Herodias' daughter, and her name is Salom. Now, Salom is actually Herodias' daughter, but she's from another marriage. Right. Lost, isn't it? So Salom comes and she dances at the party and she's dancing with the stars. She's having a great time. Herod's enjoying this. All the people are enjoying uh, what's going on. He's having a great time. But Herod makes this statement, verse 22 to 23. He likes Salom's dancing and he says, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Wow, you've got to be drunk to make a promise like that. And he means it. Like he's saying this in front of everyone. But what does she do, Salam? She runs to mum, Herodias, her mum, and says, Mum, mum, oh, I got this up to half his kingdom. I'm going to get, what do you reckon? She goes, no, I want the head of John the Baptist. Herodias goes back, verse 24 says, so she went out 
to talk to the mum, what shall I ask? He said, I want the head of John the Baptist. Remember, Herod never wanted to kill John the Baptist. He liked John the Baptist, but he had no choice because he would lose face in front of all his friends, all his dignitaries of the promise that he had made to Salom. And he didn't want to look bad in front of everyone. So he consents and has an executor come and sent to cut off the head of John the Baptist. Why? Herodias was so riddled with a grudge. She was so riddled with bitterness. Herodias in verse 19 says, Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she couldn't. The ESV version, as I said to her before, says she had a grudge against him. The NIV says she nursed a grudge against him. The Greek word here is enkio, which enkio is from two Greek words translated. En means to hold in. Kio means to hold it, to own it, to possess it. She has held enkio. We see she has held this resentment in her. She owned it. She possessed it. But you know what happened? It, be, it happened. It owned her. That grudge, that resentment owned her. That's what happens when we hold on to grudges. It ends up holding us, ends up owning us. The definition of a grudge here is harbouring feelings of bitterness and anger or resentment towards, other, towards another. That's what she was doing. She was harbouring it. She was owning it. She was possessing it. Therefore, it began to own her. It's not worth it. Holding on to a grudge or resentment or bitterness, it's not worth it. I want to look at four things that we can learn from this passage of Scripture. And when you hold a grudge, this is what it does. When you hold resentment or unforgiveness, this is what it does. Number one, it dominates. Because she could not let it go, it dominated her. I like the imagery, as I said to you in this passage. It says in 19, it says, And Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. And you know, my sermons are never without an illustration. So nursing, when a mother nurses, This is the symbol. Uh, Nursing a baby is you hold it close to you. You hold it tight. You rock it. You look at it. Oh, I love you. And that's what happens when we nurse a grudge. It becomes so much part of our lives, so much part that it's within us. It's we just can't let it go. It's so much part of our lives. We rock back and forth with nursing our grudge. 
This is the idea behind holding a grudge. It means nursing, nursing it, rehearsing it. You know, have you ever, have you ever had someone hurt you or someone do something to you that you rehearse it? Well, when I see them again, I'm gonna say this, and they're gonna say this, and I'm gonna say this, and they're gonna come back with this, and I'm gonna say this, but they're gonna say this, and I'm gonna say that. You know, that's what you're doing. You're nursing, you're holding, you're nursing that grudge, and it begins to own you. Begins to dominate your life. The only thing that will bring satisfaction to Herodias is in her heart is if something terrible happened to John the Baptist. And in her mind, she thinks, it's just his head. All I see is his head on a platter. That'll make me happy. John the Baptist is the innocent one here. He didn't do anything wrong. He's just been faithful to God, preaching the truth. When we don't like the truth, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> they did it to Jesus, didn't they? There is terrible power of resentment. And if we don't deal with it, if we don't deal with the grudges, if we don't deal with resentment, it will dominate us, it will control us. You know, the LA Times ran a story years ago quoting from a science magazine which was published the findings of research done by scientists from the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And at the University of Zurich, they studied brain activity. This is really interesting. And when, uh, with a PET scan, so they attached PET scans and when people uh, were getting revenge, they monitored the brain activity and what happened. So what they did, they put two people in a room and they got them to play a game. So if player A did something that player B perceived as unfair, then player B could get revenge and by taking money away from player A. And so they monitored the PET scan of when revenge was actually taking place. And this is what they found, very interesting. When the person in the study was engaging in revenge, part of the brain that they could see on the PET scan that measures pleasure called the dorsal stradium would light up on the PET scan. And scientists said that it had the same reaction that revenge act, uh, activates the same reward circuitry of the brain that is fired up when someone is sniffing cocaine or having a sexual attraction against another person. The dorsal stradium would light up on the PET scan when people were getting revenge. Revenge is intoxicating. Revenge is addictive. Revenge is like a drug. It's like a high. We need to be so aware of this. We can't go there. We should never nurse a grudge. 
It's not worth it. Number one, it dominates. Number two, it deprives. When we hold a grudge, it deprives us. Verse 23 says, He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mum, what shall I ask? And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in haste to the king and asked, saying, I want to give, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herodias forfeits, Herodias's daughter, because it's also Herodias herself, forfeits Half the kingdom for her daughter. So her daughter misses out on getting half the kingdom, which she would get as well because of the grudge. How many people were held back from a good life, from a good sleep, from good health, because they hold on to bitterness? There are countless studies that have been done and research has been actually done to physically see and mentally see the results of people who held on to a grudge. And their outcomes from the National Library of Medicine has results in their finding. Clinical psychologist Jessica McDonald, PhD, said that when you hold a grudge, your body physically feels tight and restricted. Researchers found that the physical effects on holding on to a grudge gives high blood pressure, cognitive decline, headaches, gastrointestinal intentional gut issues and distress, skin conditions and anxiety. That's what holding a grudge can do to the physical body and the mental body. It's pretty full on. Just let it pause for a minute. And I'm sure you know in this room people like that who have nursed a grudge, held a grudge, because it dominates them, becomes part of a bitterness, deprives us. Let's not be people who deprive ourselves because of a grudge or because of bitterness or because it's, someone's done that. It's just not worth it. Number one, it dominates. Number two, it deprives. Number three, it defiles. Hebrews 12, 15. See it to that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become defiled. Holding a grudge is like drinking out of a bitter well and then passing it around. For everyone to drink from. Because it just doesn't only poison you, it poisons your partner, poisons your kids, poisons your friends. Because I don't know, I'm not perfect, I'm in working progress, but I know when someone's hurt me, I'm better at this now. I've learned, I've, I've actually got this to a down pack. That's probably why I can preach about it. <laughs> you have to live up. But I know. Someone hurts me and I go, do you know what they said about me? They said this. Da, da, da. Hey, that's so bad, isn't it? Da, da, da. And, and, and it's defiling. I'm defiling that person because I've told that person. You know that person? That person's going to tell someone else. And that person's going to tell someone else. By the, by the time it comes around, it's distorted. It's worse. I've got a, I apparently got a, a murder a contract killer on the person who, you know what I'm saying? It defiles Many 
it doesn't only poison you, but when you give it to others and share it around, it defiles many. You don't even have to act on the resentment that, you're, that are in your thoughts. Just talking about it with others is rehearsing the conversation. I've seen the scenarios too many times. Someone is hurt and it goes on and on and on and on, offended, and they can't let go of it, and it begins to defy themselves and defile others. It defiles many. You know, this is why the writer in Hebrews says this wonderful thing. He says, make sure that you do not let that bitterness take root, otherwise it will defile many. When you get hurt, when someone has hurt you and you take on God's grace, this is what this passage talks about, that the grace of God will be revealed. So when the grace of God is revealed, you know, when someone does something to you and then you are able to forgive them and someone has seen what has been said or done, they come to you and go, how did you get over that? That's pretty full on. And you know it's because of the grace of God. And that's what this scripture is talking about, allowing the grace of God to help you. By the grace of God, I was able to forgive. When we forgive, we then become recipients of the grace of God. And you can't act on that because grace towards others is always greater. But when you don't handle it the right way, you harbour the resentment, bitterness grows, a grudge begins to be nursed. It begins to dominate you, begins to deprive you from the best life. It begins to defile you and you miss out on the grace of God and you are then bound by it. You're unable to follow through into the grace of God. Jonah 2.8 says, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, say so that. Grudge is not an idol. Well, it actually is. Grudge can become an idol because that's what you worship. That's what you rehearse in your mind. That's what you're going over and over. That's what consumes you in the night. That's what consumes you in the day. That's what consumes you in your conversations. That's what consumes your soul. It's the soul checkup today. It's just worthless idol. It dominates. It takes over. It becomes your idol. And you forfeit the grace of God. So number one, it dominates. Number two, it deprives. Number three, it defiles. Number four, it devastates. Okay, I want you to take an imaginary picture here. Imagine Herodias' daughter getting the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's trauma right there. That's a real life event that just happened. Salon will never be able to move on from that trauma. It was her mum's problem that she made it her daughter's problem and it wrecked her life. Verse 28 says, John the Baptist's head was cut off, put on a platter and given to the girl and then Gail, the girl gave it to her mum. I know, I can't even watch a gory movie without having nightmares. I can imagine Salom just dramatised by what her mum made her do. Mum was so selfish. The mum was so riddled with bitterness, totally unaware of how it destroyed her own daughter. Poor John the Baptist lost his head over a woman's grudge. 
he was only faithfully telling the truth. What do we do about when we are hurt? What do you do when you've been hurt? What do you do with that? It's a bit of an application challenge here. What do you do? Do you nurse it? I like what Leviticus says in chapter 19, 18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. That's Old Testament. You go, oh, that's Old Testament. No, I'll tell you what New Testament says. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So how do we do that? One word, one word alone, and that's forgiveness. God calls us to forgive. You know, we're coming to the end of 2022, and I would encourage you, if you need to do a spring clean, if you need to do a soul check, if there are people that have hurt you, if there are people that have offended you, if there are things that have happened many, many years ago, do yourself a favour. And deal with that grudge. Allow forgiveness to come in to your life. God calls us to forgive. There's a scripture in the Bible that says if we hold bitterness against another, God doesn't hear our prayer. That's pretty full on, hey? Might as well be praying to the wall. That's what he's saying. He's saying if, you, if we hold bitterness towards our brother, God doesn't hear our prayer. So that's why I'm here to preach this morning to give you a chance to get rid of, do the spring clean. Don't eat the pork. Don't eat the sugar. Forgiveness is not condoning the behaviour of the other person. It's the behaviour of the other person or the pain that they've done. It's not condoning. Yeah, it's okay, they did that. It's not about that. Forgiveness is that you no longer will be defined by it. That you no longer will be spoiled by it, that you are not, you're not denying what they've done, the pain that they have caused, but you're not, you're saying, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I forgive them. Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Greatest example Jesus forgave us and he's given us the power to forgive. You know, sometimes people say to me, I need to forgive myself. I'm going, where are you going to get that type of forgiveness from? You can't do it. You need God to help you to forgive. You need God's help. He died on the cross to help you, to one, to forgive you, but also to help you to forgive. And we gain that from God, forgiveness is received from Jesus. The forgiveness that we don't deserve, but because of his grace, his love towards us. We understand that, we can forgive. Forgiveness is not always a once-off thing too. Scripture says, the Bible says, forgive 70 times seven. If you don't maths, It's 490 times. It's not just saying, forgive that person 490 times and you're good. No, it's actually illustrating over and over again for the same thing. That's a continue. So when that pain, when that hurt, when that reminder, God help me to forgive them. Eating lunch, 
God, help me. That gives you indigestion. Help me to forgive them. You know, and, and it's a constant thing. I've, I've, I've learned this, and Mark and I do this, when we've been hurt, when, when things have been done or said or whatever has happened in our lives, we actually pray for the people. And we actually don't pray the lightning strike prayer. We don't actually pray the brick from heaven. We actually go, Father, bless them. Bless their family. Bless them. Let them know your grace. Let them know your presence. And that has always helped us as we begin to, one, forgive them and then pray for them. This chain, this release comes upon. I like the musos to come right now. Please, I want uh, to close with this wonderful story of a true story of Corrie Ten Boone that she wrote in her book. Corrie Ten Boone and her family gave shelter to nearly 800 Jews in World War II who were being killed. And they hid them in their home. They protected them over the many, uh, over that time. And they helped them. They lived in Amsterdam and eventually the Nazis discovered what they were doing. And so they were imprisoned in a concentration camp by the Nazis. Corey was the only survivor of her family. She was the only living one in her family. And when she came out, she toured the world to tell her story. She wrote a book, she wrote a book, she wrote quotes about her story. And she wrote on a key issue in her life and that had, the, had to constantly, that she had to constantly work on and that was a subject of forgiveness. Corey Ten Boon writes this in this one of her quotes. She says, Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of resentment. It breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Forgiveness to letting go of a bell, is like a letting go of a bell rope. If you have ever seen a country church with a bell in the steeple, you will remember that to get the bell to start ringing, you have to tug a while. And once it has begun to ring, you merely maintain the momentum and as long as you keep pulling, the bell keeps ringing. Forgiveness is letting go of that rope. It is just that simple. She says, but when you do so, the bell keeps ringing. Momentum is still at work. However, if you keep your hands off that rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. You may be here this morning and you may be the recipient of hurt. Hurt that has been so painful that has brought you into place of holding on, resentment, unforgiveness, grudge. I wanna pray for you this morning. I want to pray that you discover the same grace of God that I discovered in learning how to let go of hurt, grudges. I was sexually abused many years ago. It took me a long time, but I'm able to say that I'm released 
from that grudge, from that, from that violation, from that bitterness. There'd be times I'd be in an elevator and I'd smell the same smell, aftershave, that my perpetrator had on me and I would freeze. But today I can live free because the same grace of God that came and forgave me, forgave them. And today I say this, this is not in my notes, but I feel the Holy Spirit has prompted me to say this. Today you can live a life that is free from hurt, from abuse, from betrayal, whether it be your parents, whether it be a colleague, whether it be a friend, whether it be a son, a daughter, whether it be a cousin, whether it be a relative, whoever it may be, today God wants to extend His love and His forgiveness to give you the strength and the help to forgive and not nurse a grudge, but to put it down and live the life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ has for you. I'm not gonna say it's easy. That as you start, God will help you every time as you call upon His help and His grace to forgive, you will find it will no longer be attached to you. It will be a memory, it will be a scar, but it won't have the pain that it once did. Can you stand with me this morning?